Phoenix Down Radio is on the air. Welcome, everybody, to Phoenix Down Radio, episode number 132. I'm your host, Klaus Nightbringer, and joining me, we have Sarah. Hey, what's up, buddy? Existing is exhausting lately. Not just for me. That kind of feels like the mood for everyone. Existing is just kind of hard right now. That's kind of the theme of uh, 2020, I think. But other than that, not bad. That's good to hear. I mean, we're almost done. With 2020, we only have, um, by my count, 13 years left. Uh, this feels like the type of thing that gets said right before the boss that you've finally taken down their third form starts to twitch and rise up again. I mean, we, we do have uh, uh, general elections coming up. Uh, I voted. Yay, early voting. If you can, do it. Otherwise, you know, make sure that you, you're uh, registered to vote and do vote if you can. Stay safe when you do. Vote early, vote often. Just kidding. But vote, <laughs> but make sure to vote. Yeah. Um, a little bit of uh, housekeeping news. Uh, we have decided to uh, move our next episode. Uh, episode 133 will not be on Halloween. Uh, so you guys can go and do your spoopy things. We will be doing uh, that on Sunday, November 1st at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern or noon Pacific. Um, fortunately, I was able to uh, talk Sarah and Talas into joining us for that. So the more we can get everybody on, the better. Plus the fact that, you know, Halloween night, people want to do stuff. So, yeah. And, and then later on that week is Extra Life. We are three weeks away from Extra Life, which is uh, November 7th, uh, starting at 8 a.m. Central Time. Um, still haven't worked out an entire plan as to what we're going to be doing or that 24-hour stream, because it will be a 24-hour one this time, as uh, Daylight Savings is on the 1st, I believe, correct? Uh, I think so. It landed a little bit weird it's on this Halloween year. slash the 1st? I believe so. Let me check that. I, I, could, I could be some... incorrect, but uh, that's what I recall. Uh, nope. It ends, Daylight Savings ends uh, Sunday, November 1st at 2 a.m. Okay, so it is... So that means we're actually going to be, well, so it'll start a little early yeah. for us. But Hall- yeah. Halloween night, we'll have that hour that didn't happen as from 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. of the shadow hour exists and then jumps back and never was. That's kind of the perfect day to have it happen. Yeah. It, it can't get uh, much remember, better than that. I remember during a previous year's Daylight Savings Time of... Bender made a point of playing Persona 3 on that day, given that the game's plot involves a hidden hour in the night. Gotcha. Makes sense. So what have you been up to since the last episode? Oh, uh, I was house-sitting for some friends of mine. I got to play with their adorable dog a lot. Cool. Uh, I got to use their giant Whirlpool bathtub. They even <laughs> said I could use some of their bath bombs as long as I didn't Ooh. use all their bath bombs. So only most of the bath bombs. I used two. I kept it reasonable. <laughs> At once? That would... Huh. I was about to say that would be ridiculous, but I feel like there are some combinations that could actually work. And that bathtub was big enough that it could reasonably use two bath bombs. <laughs> nice. Damn it, why am I thinking about this now? Because, Ugh. well, for next time. I mean, pretty much I'm the kind of person who you give me a halfway interesting question, and I immediately drop what I'm doing to start thinking about it. 
it's a little bit of a problem. Well, we we definitely know how to uh, sidetrack Sayer. Like the it is harder to not sidetrack Sayer. He's not wrong. Um, I uh, know, anything else? Oh. And for FF14 stuff, I was distracted with enough other things between that and work that I had not logged in until today uh, for like a few hours earlier, whereupon I did the entire fourth stage of the Dragon Sun Fishing Rod. I know what I like, <laughs> and it's throwing a line at the Plum Spring and Yonsha. No, you're, you're fine, you're fine. I mean, I, 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 as long as you enjoy it, that, that's the important part. I mean, I spent uh, my day today... Um, I, I got the, uh, first, uh, or the next upgraded step of brilliance for the, um, as the bard weapon. So I now have the 500 eye level, uh, resistance weapon. Now I have to run six level 60 dungeons and you have to do them synced. We'll talk a bit about that later on, of yes. course, but um, I'm excited about some of the <clears> stuff that I've been hearing. Yeah, there's a lot of, of interesting things that are happening. And if you need to level jobs from level 50 ish to 60 ish. You might like these steps, so. Um, other than that, I uh, took advantage of some Prime Day sales. I ended up getting a new uh, wireless mesh uh, network set up that I finally got working Ooh. yesterday. So, so you finally have proper Wi-Fi coverage for your house? Well, I, I had coverage, but it was a little bit sporadic based off of the janky setup that I used for it. But as right. I So it's what's like more stable? Yes, and it's uh, instead of having four distinct um, SSIDs, it's now all now down into one. But it but oh it covers. My God, you were... Sorry, you what? were working with four SSIDs. Well, I didn't realize it was that janky. Well, it's they were all separated though because I had my regular two point four gigahertz and I had a, a um, an AC five gigahertz and then I had then I had another uh, um, AP that had a two point four gigahertz that I, that I didn't use very often. It was only for a few things. And then I had an, uh, a 5 gigahertz N network that had a different one, so... Each sentence just makes me a little sadder. It's not easy to, uh... It's not as easy <laughs> as you think, unfortunately, when you add in access points. A lot of times they require different, uh... Especially if they're different uh, brands of things. You, you, I mean, sure, but that still sounds like a massive pain in the ass. But when it was just me using it most of the time, who cares? I guess that's fair. And then when people needed to use it, I just had them connect to the to the general one because that had enough coverage for most of the house anyway. So it's not ideal. It was just but... so I could try and get the best speed for my equipment. The point is, things are better now. Yeah, they are actually better. Uh, one one SSID covering the gamut from uh, B all the way up to AC. I didn't get AX because that's a little expensive still. And I don't think my any of my equipment supports AX yet. But I uh, got uh, that. I haven't even heard of that one. That's a new thing. It is Wi-Fi 6. So got myself a brand new smartwatch. Shiny. I need it's actually not that shiny, it's black. <laughs> but <laughs> um and Walmart and some of the other um retailers were, were having uh competi bleh, competing sales. Ooh. I ended up picking up my first uh, 4K TV. Did you make them fight for your love? Yes, I did. And by love, love I mean money. Baby. Yes. <laughs> love is money. How else does it work? That's why people want so much of it, right? That's a whole nother show. 
Next time, Uldar. What's their problem? The, 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 it's, it's the city full of love. By love, you mean money, and by money, and never mind. Um, well, you, I mean, you, you, you could say the same thing about Limsa. Limsa could have just yeah. as much love as, as so Uldar. I mean, Uldal has the uh, pillow houses. L Limsa Lominsa has the pleasure barges and whatnot. What's going on in Gridania? Damn tree huggers. Oh, God. Is that <laughs> where they get the knots in the wood from? <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I, I, I got... They, they had a 50-inch 4K TV for $200. Ooh. So, yeah, I mean... It, I, a great entry point for me, and it, and it just fits on top of my... Uh, my entertainment center so, mm. so yeah got, finally got that set up and uh yeah so we got a few a few nice things to uh keep going so pretty sweet yep and like i said just it's it's worth trying these new things so trying to simplify everything get it all working better and like i said i was concerned about it but like i said with the wi-fi now finally working oh, don't tell don't ask me about the first night it was bad Mm. It was bad. But it's over now. You don't have to think about it anymore. Exactly. Anyway, so, anything else that you want to talk about? Um, I think that's about it at the moment. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into some game and community news. I did look around. Uh, there wasn't a ton of, final of random Final Fantasy news. We'll get into that in a little bit. But there were two huge pieces of news in Final Fantasy XIV. Um... So since uh, the last episode, uh, there was a live letter and a patch drop. So we'll talk about all of that. Um, first, let's get the, the bad news out of the way. Uh, FanFest, in all of its forms so far, has been officially canceled. They finally... We knew it was Yeah, we knew it was, but they officially announced that uh, the European FanFest has been canceled and that they are considering plans to create a digital event for fans. Yeah, they still have announcements they're going to want to make. They still want to have all that good stuff. Uh, secret lore book number three and four, I'm sure. So they'll figure out something for that, but I mean, not right. All the merch. Um, mm, there's going to be uh, you know a new expansion to talk about. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that they're going to be discussed. I'm just sad that we don't get to do it uh, together as a group, but I understand that uh, safety is more important than... Uh, um, learning about video games, so. Yeah, there's a way to do both. It's more like we don't get to learn about video games while also crowding into small spaces and then going to get brunch. But getting, going together to get brunch was the part I was looking forward to the most. I know, I know. We'll make mimosas. It'll be fine. Virtual brunch. Um, a lot of people have been doing it, actually. Uh, the Make It Rain campaign has been announced. It starts on October 21st, so next week. And it runs for a full month. Mm, get that MGP. I don't need MGP. I still already have over 9 million. And that's, you should find things to waste it on. I, I've been buying packs and packs and packs of cards, and I still have 9.1 million. I was up to 9.7. You apparently need to buy more packs. Have you gotten all the cards you can get from them? I don't know. I have to research. I'll go over that later. I have to research. I, I can provide you some resources. <laughs> I know. 
Um, uh, there's going to be a new emote, uh, a question emote. Kind of goes nicely with that uh, aha emote from the, yep, the, the Eureka. For? It was it was the second one I think we got it for, but it was it was a Eureka. Yeah, Eureka. Oh, because the previous one was a senior sabotender dance. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, there but will yeah. also be a reduced price on prior Make It Rain campaign rewards, including the uh, the games. So you'll be able to get uh, get them for a cheaper price. A fifty percent bonus on MGP rewards. And they also announced that for those saddened by the absence of the All Saints Wake event, uh, the Continental Circus will be sending a special representative to the Gold Saucer who will take you to the Haunted Matter Masquerade. <laughs> Given the reduction in development resources available, uh, it makes sense that we weren't going to get full versions of all of the events. Which but would you have I rather had, though? Make it rain or, uh, or the uh, um, All Saints Wake? I mean, I don't have as much MGP as you, so make it rain is fine by me. And the big thing that people really cared about for Halloween was seeing, okay, which people do we get to dress up as and do all sorts of screenshots involving? Okay, so they're basically you know, going to turn the servers back on for the uh, the masquerade ball area, and then, the, so then, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Loremonger Shamo, who loves her Con E. Merylwiv ships. Which, you know, I can see! Why does that hurt my head? Because it's oddly plausible. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, patch 5.3. That dropped on Tuesday. It added the Bojan Southern Front Zone, uh, which is very similar to Eureka, actually. Uh, Sarah, you haven't jumped in yet? I haven't. I've been hearing about it, and the main thing I've heard is that it's like Eureka, but less bad. Yeah, a little less bad. It, it's still, you know, you've got your alternate leveling system. Um, the fact that you, when you, if you go in at level 71, you are automatically brought up to level 80. So that's oh, kind of nice. Um, you fight different mobs oh. in there. You fight uh, in skirmishes, which are fate-like uh, instances, or fate-like battles. There are um, other command missions. It, it, I've haven't done a ton in there. I'm level I'm rank six, I believe, right now. So the other thing I heard was that it's a mix of Final Fantasy twelve references, Final Fantasy type or Evilise references in general, mm -hmm. Final Fantasy type zero references, and a red chocobo that murders everyone. So, yeah. So like, if you if you remember uh, in uh, Stormblood, um, what was it for the um, the uh, Evilise raid? Was it Ridorana? Yeah. I believe it was Ridorana, yeah. Yeah, so it was part of the Ivalice uh, raid series. Red Choco's I back. Mean, yes, who's back? I mean, I remember in uh, one of my playthroughs of Final Fantasy Tactics, Golgorond Execution Site, I ended up winning that one by bringing a set of a team of people and a Red Chocobo. All of my other people just held back. Chocobo climbed up or on top of the execution apparatus and just rained down Choco Meteor after Choco Meteor on everyone. It was pretty hilarious. So you are the reason why we have this in-game. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person who did that. Probably. Sarah is the reason. You're welcome. Change my mind. <laughs> I'm the reason for the season. Did we mention how long the Choco is going to be around? Because it's going to be like a whole season. It's like a PvP season, except it's a fighting a Chocobo. It's going to be there the entire time. 
I haven't encountered it yet. It's it's one of those uh, special uh, um, resistance missions. I've only the done hunt like for Red October, I believe it's called. Yeah. Forty-eight v one. Red Choke was like, I like those odds. Given what I've been seeing of the memes people have been making, the Chocobo does like those odds. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, you can upgrade uh, upgrades for resistance weapons are available. It can be done in Boja or through Fates in specific areas. Um, once you start the quest, there's actually the option to run Fates in a number of the Heavensward areas. Uh, it's kind of nice that they're offering those alternate options, especially for people who may want to, as you mentioned, level all earlier jobs. And that is actually the best way to do it, because if you get gold in uh, the Fates in those zones while you have this quest active, you will get a drop. Nice. And, and you need... Uh, a total of three different drops, 20 of each per weapon. So yeah, if you just want to grind it out and you don't care about your uh, status with the uh, Bozjin resistance and whatnot, that feels like the fastest way to do it. And you do not have to be on the job. The weapon just has to be in your inventory. Thinking about it, that's also a nice bit of future-proofing for... Because they always have the thing eventually when the content becomes outdated, if people do want to clear it some other way. Mm -hmm. And being able to say, hey, you can do it through this alternate option. That is a nice bit of, like, covering what uh, there may be if uh, Southern Postgen Front becomes less available later on. Yeah. But, like I said, it's it's not bad. I don't want to head on that. So, yeah, it's... It's interesting. So, yeah, people don't necessarily... You have to get to a certain point, I believe, in order to get that. But um, I, I think it's still worthwhile to, to check out the uh, the zone and, and run through the uh, Blades of Gunhilder um, storyline. Oh, yeah, I am... I would, even if it's less efficient, that's probably the way I'd want to do it. I've uh, been discussing with the loremongers. There's a lot of stuff buried in there. There's a, apparently a surprising amount of Tactics Ogre stuff buried in there as well. Uh, the new hairstyle I think you can get is based on a major NPC from one of the Tactics Ogre games. Okay. I was wondering where it was from. Yeah, which they dabbled in a bit before. If you remember the Valerian armor sets uh, from the level 60 and then... Uh, the level 60, early level 60 dungeons in Castramabania, those were also based on stuff from the Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre universe, as well as various references in the Palace of the Dead. Okay. So, like, they've dabbled in that a bit before, and it's kind of nice to see that they're keeping the ties up. Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that uh, Yoshida was a uh, major player in, and that was one, that's like his favorite game. <laughs> so. Um... There was also a, a new step of, for the Sky Steel tools added, which Sarah. Huh. So with this <laughs> one, the big, like, uh, somewhat similar in that you get materials, you bring them in. In this case, they're being processed into gobby goo or viscous gobby goo because uh, Rowena's involved. She's made some type of deal with the goblins to help provide materials. Oh, hmm. uh, Rowena's involved. We're so screwed now. Well, she's involved in all of it. I mean, she's involved in the resistance weapons, too, so... She's got, like, she's got a finger in any pie that promises to turn a profit. This is no surprise. Uh, the big difference I've seen is on the gathering stuff, you do specifically need to have the tool equipped now, which was not a, a thing for the first two stages. Okay. Gotcha. And uh, your collect... For the previous ones, it was you're producing some number of HQ items for the crafting things. Now it's you're producing collectibles, and uh, the amount of gobby goo you get will depend on the collectible rating. 
So uh, for the first stage, you need 90 Gobby Goo, which is anywhere from 18 to 45 collectibles, depending on how good you are at it. Well, damn. Yeah, I, I still haven't touched any of the uh, Sky Skill tools. The only reason I don't have a Dragon Sung skillet is because my Materia skillet was better, but otherwise I have all the Dragon Sung tools. So I mentioned in our pre-show, but I spent this afternoon, my fir the first few hours I've been on in weeks, knocking out stage four for the fishing rod. Ooh, it I'm Sarah. I go fishing. <laughs> because that's what he likes to do. It is. Oh, like that was the thing that annoyed me at first. I was looking at the thing. It's like, wait a minute. This bit of the fishing log was complete. Why is it incomplete? What have they added? <laughs> and it turned out that it was Sky Steel stool, Tool stuff. So Sky Steel Stools, huh? Maybe that's what Sky Steel Carpenters make. Or, or maybe that's what uh, happens after you eat uh, Sky Steel Culinarian's food. Or the medicine uh, that you take from a Sky Steel Alchemist. We've got a lot of options here. Yeah. This is bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, they added uh, new ARR chapters to New Game Plus, which is kind of nice. So they're, they're, they're continuing on with that. Um, the new housing wards were added, and a lot more people got houses, but apparently it was still a bit of a shit show. It always is. Uh, I did see a couple memes going around about, like, it's like FF14 player. I play FF14 for the plot. And then the plot, and it shows a picture <laughs> of an empty housing thing with a, a housing plot on it. You're not wrong. <sighs> housing extreme. That, that whole meme came back. Like, the fact that they've, like, like, that is the one thing for which, like, we will not end maintenance early because they know that people are on there waiting for it to come up. Yeah. Like, it's like, it is that important for it to be reliable. But, they recognize only one yeah. place. But at but, least they didn't come up early. I mean, that's one thing they've said. Anytime housing is involved, they will not start early. They will start on time. Right. And I think that just goes to show, like, this is the one thing for which they will make that a section. Not like world first raids, not anything like that, but housing. Because it, it affects everybody. Yeah. Um, they added new furnishing design contest items to the game. Some of those look really nice. Let me take a quick look. I hadn't actually seen what the new stuff is. What do we got? There's like a new deck that's out there. There's some uh, oh. interior furnishings that look really nice. Oh, like the so it's like uh, they had that wooden deck previously, and it looks like we've got an eastern take on it. That's really cool. And, and the the difference being the the one the, the one that's currently available or that was a previously available, I should say, had some stuff on it already. This one is blank. <clears throat> Mm, so there's a I mean, I mean I like the whole thing of like little garden table tea set all of that that's mm -hmm. totally my aesthetic but for people who want a bit more latitude in decoration can't wait to see what a stage reborn does with some of this stuff as usual <laughs> yeah they'll find something to do um the other cool thing that they added was they added the community finder site um it's actual website that's uh, linked with uh, the lodestone um, and it allows people to find and advertise FCs, link shells, and fellowships. And yes, yeah. I did put out an ad for uh, Phoenix uh, Rising because to get people to um, to do that, they are uh, they're encouraging people to to create accounts and and set up things like that. So they're offering like a whole bunch of fireworks and stuff like that to people who do it. 
haven't yeah. gotten mine yet, uh, but maybe soon. It's interesting to see some of the tags that are available for these, and it's kind of a reflection of... I've talked a little bit before about how uh, gaming and online gaming has changed over the years, and some of these tags like work-life balance mm -hmm. or parent-friendly. Mm -hmm. It's like these are things that you would not have seen acknowledged uh, five, ten years ago. Nope. And be like, the whole thing like, no, gaming is for everyone. Absolutely. And of course, we also have plenty of like high-end duties or hardcore or... There is a non-trivial amount of glamour enthusiasts here. That's mm -hmm. pretty neat. Yeah. So yeah, it's oh, nice that you can oh, really specify. Yeah. There's a Hashtag lot of tofu. What the hell is that even about? I don't know. They made their own. Okay. As did this one that is totally inappropriate. Like that is the actual uh hash the actual tag for it. Totally inappropriate. So it sounds like a great place to go. Go check them out. No, and it's also cool because after you create your uh, um your 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 page your your post for your free company, it then gives you a uh, little card that you can link to your social media. Which if you follow me out on Twitter at phxdn underscore klauss, uh, you will see I posted that the other night when I created it. Yeah. Uh Looking at this, a uh, couple other, I'm looking at for the first time right this moment, one of the other things that strikes me is you include in the listing active hours, which is really mm -hmm. nice for it's like, oh, hey, we're a European uh, based one. And so you're welcome to join us. But these are the times when people are going to be like, that's something that's really helpful for people who don't have as much time to play. They can find groups that are more likely to be active when they'll actually be on. Yeah, like for ours, I put you the hours that I'm usually playing the game, which is, you know, mid to late afternoon, early evening, or actually be yeah. early evening would be the time when I play. Yeah, for people who are much more interested in finding a community for a lot of the social aspects, for being able to just have people to chat with, mm -hmm. that seems like a godsend. Yep, and these listings are good for 30 days. They're not yeah. permanent. I'm sure people will put them up, and it, one of the nice things about it uh, being a, a temporary one is you don't have something where it's like, oh, hey, here's a three-year-old one that it's actually defunct at this point, but they just never bothered to take it down. Yep. And people can keep updating it as stuff changes. So it keeps it nice and fresh and accessible for the people who are looking. Yep. I, I think that's good. I mean, more things that advertise for, for you know, people and, and communities should uh, be required to refresh them every so often because, I mean, look at dating sites. How old are some of those profiles? <laughs> man some of these are actually really well done yeah <laughs> okay that one is very memeish, and i love it anyway let's move on before we sarah goes deeper down the rabbit hole i am so distractible yes let's go ahead and talk about live letter uh 60 uh let me see lx yes that would be 60 yeah or it's the, the, the luxury edition Ooh. Isn't that what they put on, on the luxury editions of cars, LX? I think so. And that means that when we get to live letter 510, that'll be the deluxe edition. DLX? <laughs> or no, that uh, 510 would be DX. If we want DLX, that's going to be 560. Yeah, that's what you said. I thought. Roman numerals. You'll never use them. So, so uh, 510 would be uh, 510 is, is degeneration X. Never mind. <laughs> He said DX, so. Patch 5.4 Part 1 Preview. The new patch is called Futures Rewritten. Makes sense. It makes, so the last Tales from the Shadows dealt with the 
eighth Umbral Era timeline, the one that the Crystal Tower and Grahat the as Crystal Exarch had come from, and so I'm kind of looking at a little bit of uh, how things were going uh, went for them after uh, after the Crystal Tower was sent. And it's often been a thing of they include something in those tales from the whatever that ends up being significant or hinting something towards what they might be doing. So once I saw that the uh, patch was called Futures Rewritten, I became a little curious about, is there going to be more interaction with that? Is there going to be something referenced to that? Well, I think it's more the fact that because the tower was sent back into the first and we, and we did what we did and we basically have stopped the events that caused the calamity, we have changed the future. Right. The old future still exists, though. Like, that was one of the things that came up in the story. The Crystal Tower was sent, and then the sun rose the next day. So they still exist in whatever form. Great which is another Scott. thing that's been causing any Sorry. number of arguments about, okay, what is the nature of time travel in this setting? Especially because Alexander already tangled it all up. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the actual answer is the nature of time travel is whatever is necessary for the writers to write really cool stories, but it gives the lore team a headache. Now, it, remember, time is uh, either A, irrelevant, or B, wibbly-wobbly. I believe you mean moves into Jeremy Baramy. No. Okay, uh, we need to like do a watching of The Good Place at some point. They've got season four on Netflix now. I did just actually start it, so... Oh my god, I will totally watch it with you. I will even mute my microphone so you don't have to hear me chattering about it. No, I've, I'm already watching it with somebody else. So there. Sarah can sneak it. It's fine. <laughs> so anyways, anyways. Uh, they mentioned a new instance dungeon, Matoya's Relict. Yep, it is trust compatible. Uh, as always. Uh, this means, of course, that we'll have a trust dungeon with Grahatia, who will actually have things made for him in the dungeon. That'll be nice. Uh, and Relict, what was... Yeah, that was one where some people were like, is that a misspelling of relic? But it's the usual thing of, no, here's an archaic word. Mm -hmm. It is a thing which has survived from an earlier period or in a primitive form. Not clear what that means in this case. Well, hopefully this relic isn't derelict. Uh, but that's also where the term word comes from. I know. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, we've given got that. that Given that we're also setting the run-up for uh, 6.0, where we are likely to be uh, going to Garlow and doing all that, one wonders... They're going to start uh, working the storyline towards that, and one wonders how this might tie into that. Well, I'm wondering... I think that uh, the, the, the whole Blades of Hilder is tying into it as well. Yeah. There's been much more of the optional content does actually tie into the main storyline as of late, which is cool. As is the Sorrow of Whirlit quest, which we're getting a new one of. Um, and by cool, you mean distressing. I mean, excellent, and I'll keep doing it, but I've seen giant mecha anime. I know how this ends. It ends poorly for everyone. Until you get your own. And then you're like, woohoo! Okay, yes. Because we have our I mean, own, and we're like, woohoo! And, like, we get to pose with it. There's this kind of, like, here is this sad thing, and these children turn into living weapons, and child soldiers, and now let's go cool pose with our cool robot! Woohoo! There's, like, like, a little bit of dissonance there. Also, if you keep referencing that damn thing, I will come there and strangle you. Woohoo! <laughs> oh my! So we get a new trial with Emerald Weapon, uh, normal and extreme, so... 
That should be interesting. Yeah. So we've Lots had ruby weapon. Right. We've had emerald weapon. So does that mean that the next one we get is going to be diamond weapon? It's possible. We also did have sapphire in the well, solo duty. Solo duty, but not as as a trial. Right. So for the trial ones have been the actual weapons that we fought um, in Final Fantasy VII. The fact that the hair colors seem to correspond with stuff about the weapons and that we they have broke pilots, that. They broke that. Well, the, the pilots switched. This was a thing where they were fucking with it. Yeah, I know. But given that, we, given that we've got two with white hair, one wonders what nonsense might be going on for that. Also, which uh, Legatus they might be uh, using for the Emerald weapon. Hmm. I'm kind of hoping for Ritatin. He had so much potential of the, uh, I was about to say Galkin, the Rogadin uh, Prefectus, who we fought at Cape Westwind, who is supposed to be someone awesome enough to have worked his way to the top as a non-Garlean, and has now just become kind of a sad joke meme. So part of me is hoping that they kind of bring back some of his glory. Yeah, it's possible, I guess. So then, uh, uh yeah, it's also being to tossed around. But she, her, hers was white, so then that might fit more in diamond. Yeah, I don't remember what what color uh, uh was. Let me check. Anyway, um, so we're gonna get to fight that. Um, then we're also getting the final Eden raid, Eden's Promise. Um, in order to set foot into normal, you have to have uh, completed the fat patch 5.3 MSQ. They are also. Makes sense. They are also. Got, like, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You, uh, 5.3 uh, ends with the Scions going home, and mm -hmm. given that there was a whole thing set up in Eden of, hey, we have to be ready to do this ourselves, uh, with Reen and uh, Gaia talking about that. They probably want to try to get a little away from the, okay, we have 8 billion different uh, states that the world could be in, and we need to write dialogue for each. It doesn't seem unreasonable. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, do your MSQ, people. It's so good. Exactly. I mean, I understand not doing it day one, but make sure you do it before patch 5.4 drops. Um, then the other thing that they're adding in is they're increasing the blue level cap to 70. That seems kind of soon, but I suppose it makes more sense. Maybe, well, just, maybe those people who are hoping that blue mates will be able to catch up to the other jobs will get a pleasant surprise. I don't know. Well, you think an 80 by, by 6.0? I don't know about that fast, but maybe like part weight. Well, 6.0, they probably raise the regular level cap to 90, wouldn't they? 90 or 99. I feel like they do 90 for that, and then 7.0 would be 99 or 100. Yeah. Good. That's a good point. But we'll, we'll see. Ten but, persons to make sense. Anyways. But, you know, maybe it just seems soon because I, my blue is still 51. Mine's 32, dude. <laughs> I mean, I, I rushed my blue up to 50 pretty soon, but it's just... I haven't really felt it in, the, in this, uh, this patch, so... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just We've happy with the, the stuff that they're hinting at within um, the, um, what do they call it, Zona? I already forgot what it's called. Scroll back up. Um, the Bojan Southern Front, some of the uh, enemies you fight in there are Beastmasters. Yeah, uh, some friends were already discussing being a little bit miffed that they're dangling more jobs in front of us that we don't have. Well, I mean, 
How long has it been talked about that the next uh, limited job is going to be Beastmaster? Yeah, wouldn't be surprised. Or Puppet Master. Southern Front again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also mentioned adding more uh, upgrades for the resistance weapons. The new zone, Delubrum Regine, I think, which I checked the, uh, the Latin on, and that's like Queen's Shrine or something like that. Or Shrine of the Queen or something. Given the uh, naming convention, seems gar- uh, another thing under Garland control. Though, given the Hrothgar presence in the region and the importance of the Queen in their. Uh, society. I'm a little curious about what will be going on with that. Yeah, this is interesting though. I I didn't dig into the reasoning behind this, but apparently, it, it's got it's got two different modes to it. So there's a normal mode which anybody can queue into, and it has a cap of 24 players. I wonder if that means it's more like a um a, um like a 24 man raid type of thing, or maybe like, like a, a Baldesian arsenal type thing. Yeah, possibly. And then the savage one is. 48 players and requires you to preform your parties. So that this this Delu, this Delubrum Regine may actually be um, this version of the um, uh, Baldesian, yeah, yeah. Especially the requiring preformed parties, that may be a recognition of what all happened with the Baldesian arsenal. True. So that yeah, I bet that makes more sense. But yeah, it looks like the, some of the upgrades might be going through this zone so yeah uh, then there's gonna be there's a number of crafter updates um they're adjusting the uh, um less frequently used actions um they're adding crafting conditions to new expert recipes uh and these will not apply to recipes added prior to 5.4 so they're just changing expert up recipe. Go ahead. yeah expert recipes pretty much just come up for ishgardian restoration so i'm guessing at least part of that is ishgardian restoration is going to be going for a while we don't want every season to just be a repeat of the first couple so they're going to keep changing it up by mm, having like we'll talk about that here in a minute i don't think that's quite right um oh so we are um the gatherer updates uh, probably have other uses for uh expert recipes yes um Anyways. like um gear any of the, 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 the starred recipes, you know, you got three star, four star, five star, those would be the expert level recipes. And a lot of those are um, the craftable gear, like whether it's for your uh, crafters and gatherers or if it's the actual stuff that tanks or uh, high end raiders would use. I'd want to go back and take a look on the translation because they use both the term expert recipe and specialist recipe, and sometimes those terms can get used interchangeably, but they do have different meanings in terms of the official terminology. So yeah. I'd want to go back because I mean, at that. I bet it might be both. Because yeah, yes, there's the- a fact that because there's a lot of recipes that you can make not being a specialist, but there are a few specialist recipes that do require you having the specialization. Right. And then you have the expert recipes, which so far had just been for those high-level Ishgardian Restoration turn-ins, that one wonders when the Ishgardian Restoration does finish, will they have other types of crafter ranking events? There may be something, but uh, with Gatherer updates, they are making a major revamp to collectible and ethereal reduction systems, which is nice, because that ethereal reduction system sucks. I'm sorry. It it's just not does. a intuitive thing. I've explained it so many times, and it's once you understand it, it's okay to follow. But it is not at all intuitive. They're they're following step with the crafters, and they're getting rid of the collector's glove option or action. 
Um, so if it's given that they got rid of it with crafters and the revamps they did with that, it was kind of inevitable. Which I'm glad of. So now items will only be collectible. So they're going to have just specific collectible items. They're not going to have certain items that are going to have a collectible collectability, I guess. So that's going to change quite a few things, like for um, um, the different. Uh, so I mean, uh, what we saw the, was the, they the added the the rarefied versions of the various things, which mostly meant we got a whole bunch of hilarious new references. I still love the rarefied Applewood staff. Do I need to find that one for you really fast? Mm, nah, it's fine. Well, let's continue on. Um, All right. Uh, item wear is being removed. Putting a focus on gathering attempts and collectability rating. Uh, the item wear thing always kind of felt like an afterthought. There were a few actions that worked with it, but never seemed to work reliably. Um, elevation of gathering points has been added to the map, so you'll be able to tell at what elevation certain uh, uh, nodes are at, which is nice. And this one you will like, Sarah. Fisheye's action has been adjusted. It no longer is required to catch fish, but will allow players to ignore the time requirement for catching said fish. God, double hooray on that. I mean, you certainly had the thing where there were ones that you could only catch with that action up, which mostly meant you had to dump a whole bunch of your GP into just having this thing that allowed you to catch it, which if you needed a mooch chain, that also meant that you needed GP for your HQ boosters. There were a couple sites where there were multiple fish that needed the fish eye status. So when you used fish eyes, it there was a separate one for each with a separate duration. Which one you got was random. So you might hit fish eyes, see that, oh, damn it, I got the two-minute version instead of the three-minute version. I can't catch that fish, and I just blew a whole bunch of GP. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at Mordona for that one. There's those certain big oh, fish there. Yeah. I'm thinking about Azislaw. One of the fishing holes not too far from where we are was one of the ones with those multiple fish eyes requirements. Mm -hmm. See, I'm thinking of, of some, somewhere off Silver Tier where there's a couple of big fish that, that, um, that are needed for the quests. Yeah. Uh, you might be thinking of the uh, North Shards. Or the anyway, shards? just a couple yeah. more. Hmm? Yeah, Singing yeah. Shards. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of the North Tangle. Though that one's anyways. Anyway. Uh, also, some of the other ones where I had been hunting them down, where it became a okay. There's a weather requirement and a time requirement. Okay, it's four hours until I can catch this one. In a couple cases, oh hey, it's 14 days before I get another shot at this one because which means weather this, and everything. Weather, time of day, and a couple of things. In some of them, weather with a certain weather in the preceding thing beforehand. And after. After didn't come up, just because of some of the nature of it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to find a way to add. See, I thought that that was a thing in some of them. Anyway. Um... That isn't, but I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd done it. So being able to ignore some of that, especially for fish that are like two or three expansions old, where it's like, okay, this should no longer be the thing that is the stopping point. Let us just catch the damn fish. Yeah, let, let, let me get that quest out of my log. <laughs> Um, I mean, for myself, I've already done some of them and suffered through it, but there's a few I have left, and it just feels nicer for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, getting into the fourth phase of the Ishgardian Restoration, this is scheduled to be the final phase. I had missed that bit. 
Um, and they mm. will commemorate that with construction of a monument based on the crafting class with the greatest contribution during a specific period. So everybody so do it on Alchemist. Culinarian, please. Alchemist. Why Alchemist? Guess- because they need love too. I mean, Alchemist is a fine second. I'm good with that. So does that mean that, like, first off, each server is going potentially has their own one. I kind of wonder if there's going to be one statue that we just don't get to see because no one uh, ends up being the major contributing one for that. Armorer? Maybe. I don't know. I kind of hope not. I hope that we do get to see all of them, but... I mean, that's going to require a lot of work, you know, with all the other servers to have... Okay, this server, we want you to do Culinarian. This server, we want you to do Alchemist. We want you to do uh, Leatherworker here, you know. And how are you... Like, the sheer amount of coordination, how are you ever going to get everyone to even go along with that? You know Crystal is going to. It's like, oh, well, I'm a specialist in Carpenter and Weaver and Alchemist, and you want it to be armor, so I guess I can't compete in this round. They're going to be like, no, fuck that. I want to compete, uh, join in. Oh, well. You know Crystal's going to find a way. Hmm? Crystal is going to find a way. They might find, yeah, yeah. If anyone can manage that kind of coordination, it might be them. It'll be Crystal. You just watch. bastards. So yeah, um, and then there's a bunch of miscellaneous things. A new Unreal Trial will be selected for patch 5.4, so if you haven't done Shiva yet, like me, you may want to do that. Oh, I should do that. Uh, they're adding violins to Bard Performance. Like, I kind of wonder just how complete an orchestral thing we'll have at the end of all this. It's pretty impressive, the array that we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're working on a system for affixing multiple materia. I like that. I mean, it is a kind of annoying and repetitive thing. So if it could just be like, a, these are the material I want to attach in this order, and then it just goes for it, that would be neat. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially or- for all your crafting gear. I, I just, I, I probably took me about half an hour to attach material to my new uh, crafting armor. Let's see, the ability to link quests in chat, which is one that I'm looking forward to. The number of times someone's asked for help on something and had trouble finding out, okay, where are they? What thing are they on? Okay, this bit. So just being able to link a quest directly, then we can pop open uh, our journals and take a look at that. That's going to help a lot with helping newbies out. And this one was exciting for a lot of people, especially with the uh, upcoming release of the PlayStation 5. Uh, the PS4 version of Final Fantasy XIV can be played on the PlayStation 5 via backwards compatibility. I remember back with the PlayStation 3 being play, uh, PS2 compatible, there was questions about concerns about would you be able to play FF11 on it. And this did not seem like something that was on their ra- uh, Square Enix's radar back then. So the fact that they're considering it this time around it's kind of nice to see. Well, no, here's the deal, though. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV was on PlayStation 3. And then they created a, a version that they gave to players for free for nice. PlayStation 4. But with, I remember that. With uh, the PlayStation 5 having backwards compatibility, they've just confirmed that it will run on that hardware. Um, they did not, they're not specifically saying that they are creating a PlayStation 5 version oh. with enhancements. But right. the new hardware will allow for a lot of things to improve, such as load times, because you're getting an amazing NVMe SSD in that hardware. That was a bunch of letters. Load times go fast. Oh, I get that bit. <laughs> <laughs> a 
like I said, that's why I said it in both ways, because, you know, the nerds will understand the first way, and then you'll understand the second way. <laughs> Wait! <laughs> <laughs> so, another one for the glamour, <laughs> one for the glamour and screenshot Sorry. lovers is that they're adding an explorer mode that will allow you to freely explore, at this point, 5.x dungeons that you've previously completed. No enemies in them. You can do all the stuff you'd be able to do in town. Like, you can use mounts. You can have your minions out. You can pop out those fashion accessories like parasols. You can even play striking dummies so that you can use your battle actions on them in order to have those set up for your uh, G poses. So how... Uh, okay, so question one that I have on this. I don't know if they showed this, but is there a time limit? Could we do podcasts from within those dungeons? I don't know, and I am looking forward to finding out. Exactly. That was my first thought when I saw this. I'm, I'm not saying I want to hang out in, like, the galleries of the Grand Cosmos, but I totally want to hang out in the galleries of the Grand Cosmos. So you are saying you want to hang out in the galleries of the Grand Cosmos. Don't use my words as if they're words I said. And then uh, they showed new UI options. So you're not only going to have dark and light, they showed blue. Classic Final Fantasy interface. I loved it. I mean, it, it's very, for those who, you know, love Final Fantasy VII, you know, that's the default uh, color for that. So, yeah, it's, it's a great color. It is the ending of the war between light mode and dark mode. Just kidding. Those two are going to be at each other's throats until the sun goes out. I, at I, which point the dark mode people will declare victory. Because they have cookies. Well, also like sun going dark. Also cookies. Ooh, I could use cookies. Yes. And then there were a couple of announcements that I found regarding Final Fantasy 7 and 8. Um, there is a... This more affects people in the EU, Australia, and the Middle Eastern areas. Um, there's going to be a Final Fantasy 7 slash 8 double cartridge for the Switch releasing uh, on December 4th, I believe. Um, that's going to cost you 35 euros. So roughly... $40, um, but yeah, like I said, it's for, yeah, it's going to be, like I said, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and then the Middle East. Um, and they also announced a physical uh, PS4 release of Final Fantasy VIII Remaster in those same areas, and that's going to run you 20 euros. This feels weird and slightly unexpected, and I don't quite know what's motivating it. 2020. Then it kind of, hmm? It's 2020. They don't need any other reason than that. Nothing makes sense anymore. Happy 2020. I mean, I, I don't think there's no reason. It's just like, is there some market force thing that... I don't know. I don't know anymore. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of nice because like we were talking about earlier in the pre-show, you know, with, you know, physical versus digital media. Having an actual physical release of hardware or, or of software... Is, is is a great thing for a lot of people because then they're not necessarily limited uh, with their ability to play it. Yeah, and I mean, uh, digital divide is still a thing. There are plenty of places where you don't necessarily have reliable high-speed internet available, so physical releases may be the only option you get. But the fact that it's only released in those areas, is that's the, the, the thing that's maybe slightly weird. I don't know, because I, I thought that they had release on it from when it was originally, when they originally came out, because I want to say Final Fantasy VII 
was the first Final Fantasy game that released in in uh, um, the UK? I'm not sure on that. I know there's different stuff with like the PAL and NTSC standards and all sorts of weird stuff like that that I used to know and can't remember at this or point. Remember, we didn't get two, three, or five for a very long time. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking about how, like, Europe got Terranigma and the U.S. didn't. Is that a bad thing? Enjoyable game. I played a ROM of it. All right. If you say so. Whatever. Like, I'm well out of statute of limitations. What are they going to do? No, seriously, what are they going to do? I'm worried now. (laughs) All right. So. So, yeah. That's the basically the news that we were able to find. If you have, if you found anything interesting that you'd like us to discuss in the future, you can go ahead and shoot us an email podcast at phoenixradio.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at phxdn radio, or uh, you can hit up us on our Discord as well. You know, we always uh, enjoy talking to people on Discord. All so right, can, let's get to the good stuff. Let me link to Discord first. Oh, yes. So there's that. All right. So what you guys all came for is we are on disc three. Of Final Fantasy VI. This is the point where we've had most of the characters introduced, uh, so there's a bit less of leap motifs, uh, also a bit less of location type stuff. Most of the uh, locations like town themes, uh, dungeon themes, things like that, have been established. So we're getting to a lot of the like the really cataclysmic endgame type things, a lot of the more unusual tracks. And 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 I just have to say that the weather right now in Azus Law is perfect for this. Oh yeah. <laughs> for those of you who who may not know, we are currently in Azus Law on Hyperion. Uh, we are hanging out uh, on, by the Warring Triad. We just figured it was it kind of fit. Yeah. So. Trees, d- statues of deities spaced in a perfect triangle, balanced out just right. Be a, sh- a thing. be a shame if, if, if you were to bump that statue over there. Oh man, I got Kefka's burst in Defu. It's kind of great. <laughs> Kefka is a. <laughs> you uh, can actually get his line about chapters from a self help book as one of his like multiplayer lines. It's awesome. All right. So okay, let's, so the music. Let's go ahead and jump into that first song. This is the floating continent. Bring it down just a touch more. There we go. That harp glissando up and down, like it's at first reminiscent of the crystal theme. But then you start getting this kind of like almost technological sounding, just like kind of alien element to it. It still feels like something that's like ethereal up in the sky but then also with some sense of wrongness about it. Yeah, this plays on the floating continent. And in Kaiser's lair and the dragon's den. I believe that was added in in the, uh, some of the uh, redos of the game. Yes, Kaiser's lair and the dragon's den is a uh, kind of after game, end game type thing specifically added in the remakes. Yeah, for when they added the, the there was like 12 dragons to fight in the game or something like that. 
There were the original eight, and I think they added a couple more. They also added a few espers. Uh, I know Gilgamesh was an esper that got added, among others. But yeah, it's... it's The floating continent is... very odd. I mean, it's yeah. fitting that it's kind of got this really weird theme with it. I mean, it's the... It's made from the Cave 2 and the World of the Espers, literally ripped out of the Earth and floating up in the sky under the power of magic. In a world that had not seen magic for, like, a millennia. So it's something that's, like, this big, shocking, the world gone wrong. Here is this, like, thing that should not be. And you are making your way to the heart of it to confront the Emperor. Well, you, you think? Well, yes. That's, that's the plan. Let's let this finish real quick. Yeah, that alien feeling to it. I love it. And then... Catastrophe. This one comes up at a couple other points, usually involving, uh, like, the unsealing or whatever of some great power. Something usually involving the Warring Triad. So this plays when Kafka gains the power of the Warring Triad and the world gets thrown into chaos. Yeah. This is when, when Kafka wins. Game you over, man! Game over! But no. Like, elements of this come up in the opening as well. You've got, like, that high-pitched note yeah. going throughout. Parts of it. Parts of it are in that beginning. Parts of it. I mean, that beginning is kind of like the overture of an opera. You know, all these elements will be here throughout the story. But it also occurs some of that bit of like that high note going through that we had in like the Phantom Forest or in the World of Espers that we used to kind of symbolize this here is something magic and mystical and strange going on. But in this case, with a bit more of an ominous background because something is about to happen with all that magic. Yeah, the fact where when Kefka moves the statues and basically uses their power to destroy uh, Emperor Gestahl and then just goes crazy with power. It's beautiful in, in, in a very sick way, but beautiful. It's an excellently done sequence. One of my favorite uh, parts of any of the Final Fantasy games, to be honest. Because it's so unexpected. It's, it's not like any other Final Fantasy game. Yeah. I talked about it before, but I really liked Woolsey's translation of Kefka because it really added a lot of that insane clown element to it. Yeah. Like, a lot of the more humorous aspects, the bit where he's throwing off quips as he's doing all this stuff. That characterization really added to a lot of the horror of this person that we're facing. <laughs> we're going to be playing that a lot tonight. We are. Because. <laughs> All right. Then. Battle to the death. Or the fierce battle. So this is like boss battle, but more. Yes, this is like ultimate weapon. Warring triad. Omega weapon. Kaiser Dragon. Yeah. 
these are the, the heavy sub bosses. These are not like just, you know, your your random dungeon bosses. And yeah, the, the, these songs have been redone in 14. A number of yeah. them have been. Yeah, especially uh, we get them uh, when we're fighting the Warring Triad, usually as the first bit of their song. Yep. Before it starts going kind of their primal theme. And the, uh, the, uh, three of these were, of course, not nearly so fleshed out in the original Final Fantasy VI. They were just three gods who uh, wielded the power of magic and transformed humans and fought against each other. Good songs. It's definitely got it's got that intensity to it. Like those uh, what are they calling me about like the violence going like up down? Like there's a specific term for it. I don't know. God, I would... Can't help you on that one, buddy. Yeah. I call it good music. Now the bit where it's like the it almost sounds a little bit like a circus calliope, which kind of fits in with the whole, like, clown aesthetic of Kefka. I don't know if that was intentional or if that's just an artifact of, of the synthesized music thing that it was created on, but it adds really nice effects. Alright. Now, if you happen to get very unlucky during one of these fights, May you rest in peace. I heard this too many times. Yeah. I'm trying to tell if it... If it does share any of the elite motifs with, like, the main theme or something like... Like, it's definitely a... Here's a sad, mournful thing. I wasn't quite sure if it uh, tied it. Like, I remember with... Uh, some of the other game over themes, there would be elements of some of the game's main theme in there. I didn't really and hear never anything, but at least it wasn't as long as the one from the original Final Fantasy. Yeah. All right, next song. If we manage to uh, survive the floating continent, we wake up as Celas. And this is the music that we hear in the world of Ruin. The Dark World. It's just grim and oppressive. You have the wind howling throughout. Yeah, like I said, I love that they used, that they put weather effects within the music itself. Yeah. We had rain for the, for the tower. Now we got wind for the Dark World. It adds that really desolate feeling to it. Like, this is the world of ruin. Everything's in ruins. Yeah, you, you just, just have been howling across the plains. You just lost the game, basically. But it's still going. Yeah. So, maybe there's something we can do? I mean, at this point, Point a lot of things here. It's just like you are struggling to maintain existence. The entire world is holding on by like 
by my fingernails, and at the same time wondering why it's continuing to do so. Well, I mean, you're, you're right. the thing that I think of is the, at this point is when you're actually trying to save Sid. Uh, I don't think you hear this one when you're trying to save Sid. This is uh, after you've taken the rock to the mainland. No, I thought uh, this. this ha- I thought you heard this right away when you joined the world when you're walking around out there too, like getting your fish. Okay, yeah. If you, if you go out onto the island, if you are just going between the house and the beach, you won't hear it, but you do hear it if you go out onto that world now. Okay. Uh, and then when you go to the mainland, where the first thing that you walk past is Kefka's tower, which like it's on the map, it's it's there. You have like the swirl of stuff around it, so it's reasonably clear what it is. You can't get into it, but the fact that 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 last dungeon is one of the first things you pass by, really highlighting just how ruined everything is. It's such a good song for being such a depressing song. I have trouble calling it a song just because it feels more like just kind of like an atmospheric ambient piece. I mean, there, there's also, a, if you listen to the melody, though, there's a very haunting melody within it. I mean, it put, like, if I was going to compare but, it to something, it would be like Dalaman Answer, where there is, like, a melody woven throughout it, but I hadn't seen Dalaman Answer song in and of itself just it feels more like a here's this atmospheric piece that includes a song in it but it's not in and of itself this may be nitpickery but yeah or or it's just like your opinion man i have a lot of opinions we know that's why we mute you half the time kidding are you Mm. all right this is the town theme in the world of ruin called the day after that is a very interesting choice of name i have to say uh the day after was a hang on let me look it up really fast 1980s uh tv movie involving the aftermath of a thermonuclear war that was viewed from like life in an american city or american town So uh, kind of this idea of like, here's life in this town, people are that after this major disaster. Sir, can I have you get up on your mic a little bit more? Sure. There. Yeah, like, so that specific name of the day after really carries with it that idea of after the end here. That feels like another possible Woolseyism, in which case, really Walton's in one. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense that, you know, unless uh, the development team were fans of um, American television in the 80s. Which maybe, but... Or like I said, it, it, it was maybe the one thing in pop culture that was that most closely represented the feeling they were trying to get across yeah. here. Uh, the Wikipedia page mentions that it was the highest rated rated television film in history and it still held that record as recently as 2009 oh wow so this was something that was like a major cultural event they got some of those elements of like this town thing like this almost pastoral type thing but woven through with this sadness again it's like we are struggling to go on day by day and we don't really know why anymore all right, so as we continue on our journey, 
Once we've obtained the Falcon, the main theme of the world now changes to searching for friends. Yeah, you've got that kind of like rising note thing that starts on feeling a little more hopeful. It's got that sense of exploration to it. Which, I mean, like, given the whole searching for friends, it's like, we're now looking for our friends and the hope that they symbolize in this ruined world. Well, I mean, if you're trying to, you know, be a completionist, yeah, you're going to try and find everybody else all on the map now. I mean, you've gotten three so far. And you can go and beat the game if you want to. But most people are going to go try and find everybody else. It's reasonably likely that you'll have four at this point, but... So Celeste, Edgar, and Setzer are the only ones who are required, but odds are pretty damn good that heading north uh, on the map from that initial thing, you'll reach the town of Sen, and you'll see Sabin holding up the house, a rescue itself from inside, and afterwards Sabin will join your team. Not required, but pretty damn likely, especially if it's your first time playing, that's the first city you're going to run across. It's just nice to listen to these songs, too. Yeah. You've got, like, that kind of high flute. Like, that's the thing that we see a lot, that kind of, like, melody thing weaving through. What is that kind of, like, the background thing going on here? It almost yeah. sounds guitarish. Yeah. It's something that has a little more energy into it. Again, going back to this idea of like, hey, here's this thing we're finding as the reason to go on. Here's the thing that's sustaining us. Like one of the big recurring themes is like, lots how of do you? Hmm? There's lots of hi hats in the background as well. Yeah, I think that's the bit I'm hearing. It's like it's a recurring theme of like, given that everything falls to ruin, given that every like everything ends, all that. How do you find the? drive to keep going on. And the answer is that everyone uh, is finding in this ruined world. As you find those party members, you explore a little bit of like how they've gone on since then. Uh, especially in the case of Tara, you learn a bit about how she finds the motivation to fight again. Yeah, that one is quite interesting. You know. mm-hmm. So it's just like this big recurring theme, and it's kind of fun to see that woven into the music. Alright, next song. <laughs> An optional character, but one that's fun to to get. Go go. Go go is an odd character. Yeah, it's kind of a callback to Final Fantasy V, as there was a very similar character that appeared there. One wonders if it had been planted just to be like, this is going to be a recurring thing in each of them. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the mime character hasn't really been... I mean, they did bring it back in Seven with the mime materia, but yeah, it wasn't had- a job, per se. Yeah, they had Mimic as started being a thing, but rather than having an entire job based around it, especially because it became hard to kind of like have an entire job and have that character integrated in. 
Yeah, because I mean, the, the timing of their skills, because basically all they would do is they would copy the skill of the person who went right before them. Right. It felt like those things that's either like useless or game breaking, and there's no middle ground. Yep. Now, this one is all uh, especially odd because you end up here after having fought a giant worm thing that uses a vacuum ability to suck your characters in one by one. And after it sucks the last one, it's like, okay, well, that's the game over, right? Nope, you just arrived in a new dungeon. Yep. But when I read about that, that was like, what? You want me to lose? But where else would you find a mimic, right? And then you're wandering, wandering through this dungeon in there. There's imperial soldiers on the thing. There's weird moving up and down, crushing things. Is this inside the world? Did you just get dropped off somewhere else? It feels almost like you're in a liminal space, not quite in regular reality at this point. All the rules are off. I blame Kevka. Anyway. This is another one of those moving songs. It's called Epitaph. This is when we learn about uh, Setzer's lost love, Daryl. They went on lots of adventures together. Lots of fun airship shenanigans. Oh yeah. They were fierce rivals. They were lovers they were were they actually confirmed like i felt like it was implied possibly but we were never really sure well they, they said it says here that this was his lost love but okay M maybe it was an unrequited maybe he never got really got the chance or maybe she liked him but he never figured it out until it was too late yeah kind Whatever of star crossed maybe or he did build that tomb for her, including interring uh, her uh, experimental airship in there. Which is what we get to fly on. And when we get the uh, the new Searching for Friends theme. Now, or is it's it? interesting. It's interesting the tune here just because it's kind of this like. Like, what? Like, I want to say that was Setzer's original thing. Yeah, that was the one that yeah, it, played it, on the block. It's a playoff of that. Okay. For a moment, like, when I was here, I was like, wait, is that Locke's theme? That can't be right. But then once I started singing, it's like, nope, that's the Blackjack music. So, yeah, it makes sense. It's, like, kind of more reminiscent, more mournful version of it called Epitaph, of course, because it's the tune that plays in this tune. Yep. Alright, let's go ahead and move on to the next one. The Magic House. So this is in Jidor, uh, you have Ozer's house. Uh, Ozer being a famous collector of art and uh, masterpieces and things like that, who seems to have vanished into his manor without a trace. And you start exploring his galleries. 
Apparently this is a, a, a remake of an original dungeon theme from Final Fantasy 2. Huh. Like, it's being used as a dungeon theme here t as well, but it kind of it implies it's like, hey, you're exploring an opulent palace or some other place of, like, wealth and refinement. It would be interesting to see where it originally been planned to use in Final Fantasy 2. I'd have to go back to our notes and see if it was actually used or not. Mm -hmm. I've got it somewhere, but we don't need to necessarily yeah, dig into it right now. That bit there, the bit that sounds kind of like... Harpsichordish? Or, like, it's something like, like, that sounds like a very fancy... Like, it makes me think of... Like, the classical things like Mozart or whatever, playing on some type of fancy, fiddly instrument. Which kind of fits with that feeling of, like, this refined, artistic location. Ooh, look at me, I'm all fancy. I'm holding my, my pinky up while I drink my water. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and move on. All right, and we go from refinement to savagery pretty much immediately. Better character than Mog. <laughs> Umaro's theme. This is the theme that plays in the Yeti's cave. Like you've got kind of the backing of, well, this kind of like the sort of savage feel to it. Thing is, though, we we can't get Umaro if we don't have Mog. <laughs> and it looks like some parts of the main melody like have snatches of the Moogle theme to it. Like, I feel like there's a little bit of element of Moogle theme in it. They're, they're, they're kind of friends, aren't they? Mog and tomorrow. Yep. Like, after, you do have to fight tomorrow either way, but after you beat him, he'll sit there, like, just like moaning. If you either have or bring back Mog to him, Mog starts lecturing him, declares that he's tomorrow's boss, and Umaro seems to be going along with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in order for Umaro to join the party, you have to have Mog with you. Yep. So there's a little bit of that playfulness within the, the theme here. Mm -hmm. It is just fun to play with Umaro and just have him do random stuff. <laughs> Bring yeah. him up to the last battle with you. He is completely uncontrollable in battle. Hits fairly uh, savagely hard. You can equip him with a couple of special relics that will unlock new attacks. A magical ice attack or a stronger physical attack where he flings another party member into oh, the Oh, that enemy. one is amazing. I love that. Also, Cryptic Midnight TV, thank you so much for the follow. We appreciate that and hope you enjoy your time here. Mm -hmm. All right, so. The Fanatics. So, this is at the Cult of Kafka Tower, which is separate from Kafka's Tower. Yep. This is in the Serpent's Trench, I believe. Yep. A, ring, a mountain ringed valley only accessible via airship, uh, with a tower built off of what appears to be cast-offs uh, from Zozo. Like, you see a lot of those elements of, like, the buildings 
stacked up into a something like 90 or 100 story tower. It's pretty freaking tall. Mm-hmm. It's it's not uh, an easy ascent. You want to bring a lot right. of strong uh, fighters with you for this one. Yeah, I usually just cheesed it with a local charm, honestly. But this also plays during the first half of Kefka's speech prior to the final battle. Which makes sense if, if, this, if, if his cult followers are playing this song. Yep. You got... You have that tower with uh, magical treasures throughout, including a very special one that is said to be Kafka's treasure at the top. One wonders if Kafka even gives a damn about it, honestly. But these people who faced with the power of uh, this almost literal god, uh, see the only uh, option is to worship him. Including our very own Strago, until you bring Realm to snap him out of it. <laughs> I mean, for him, he's an old man. He's struggled through all this stuff. Near the end of his life, mm. I'm sure he has trouble seeing the point of going on. Until you bring the actual reminder of what he, uh, what he's here for, what will keep him fighting. Very I mean, true. I'm sure he thought Realm had passed away until you actually bring her back. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean. You thought everybody had died until we start finding them. Yep, everyone got scattered to the four winds. All right, next song. Kafka's Tower. It's got some of those elements from uh, the floating continent trap. And a more sinister uh, kind of backbeat. At least at the yeah. beginning there. Like, it feels like it's got elements of it, like the floating continent, maybe a little bit of Vector and the Magitech lab, which the actual dungeon itself, as the tower is an amalgamation of trash and ruins from all over the world, you're passing through lots of different environments, all sorts of chunks of stuff just cobbled together. Mm -hmm. into a tower that's held up pretty much entirely by Kefka's magical power. His insanity. His will. The main melody is kind of this whole, like, ascending uh, to the top kind of thing. We're moving up to the final challenge. This one's... So they'd have dabbled a bit with the, hey, you have two parties for this dungeon, and you'll use it to switch between them, uh, going back and forth, trying to have one. So it wasn't enough to just make one set of characters who's uh, going to be your go-to for this, especially with the big ensemble cast. <laughs> you had to have multiple characters ready to go uh, so that you can do for a lot of them two character parties. Kefka's tower ends up being three parties, each coming down in a different spot, each one needing the assistance of the other two to make it through, and each one fighting its own one of the goddess statues. Or god they refer to it as goddesses originally, but I feel like it's supposed to be more gender neutralish. Uh though of course if you were desperate enough, you could always fight one of them, warp out and exit, remake the parties and do it again and again. So the same parties fought all three of them. Really, though, you'd have a better time if you just, like, learned and developed more characters. 
when I played through it, I, I basically leveled everybody up so I could bring whoever I wanted, but I had the three that I wanted to bring to the final battle. For, yep. for sure. Speaking of... Uh, I do appreciate some some of the uh, modern uh, ROM hacks. Oh. Sorry, we had to move on. No worries. And this one, we're going to play the entirety of. Oh, we are going to be here a while. Because this is the goddamn Inagata DeVita of Final Fantasy. This is... This might be the free bird of Final Fantasy. This is 17 minutes and 35 seconds of Dancing Mad. <laughs> now, it's one... It's one track, uh, but it, uh, it's used as you're fighting along this final boss in four parts. And it's kind of split into separate movements. Yeah, it, and so it will actually loop on each uh, on a movement until you finish that section of the boss, at which point it will move on to the next one. But it is just so, so damn good. This is quintessential Final Fantasy music. I, I, like, I, I am hard pressed to find anybody who thinks that this is not their favorite song. <laughs> I always have trouble picking favorites, but this is something that I would at the very least point to as iconic. Yeah. If you it's think of a, I mean, there's this one, and then there's One Winged Angel. You've got that pipe organ work throughout. You've got had multiple references and people talking about Kefka taking on the powers of a god, ascending to godhood, all of that. And so you've got some stuff of like. Uh, liturgical music, the pipe organ and choirs. You've got that kind of simulated uh, human voice throughout. <laughs> Not that one, though. <laughs> but, uh, like, no, I know what you yeah, mean. It, Coming yeah. up right about here. No, not, no, not this time. It'll be the next time around. And you've again got that uh, those elements of Omen. God, that entire omen really is an overture. In Final Fantasy XIV, when, when they remade this, they did actually put it into different parts. Yeah, I think they had it as like movement one through movement four. Yeah. As I said, in the actual one, it will just kind of loop as appropriate for each one until you clear that section. And then it does a really well done transition over to the next one. Here's that voice you were talking about. Yes. That really does sound like someone singing at like a church uh, performance. Like there's a religious aspect to this. Kefka has partaken of and has become the divine. This fight though. There's a lot going on. It's got this endurance aspect to it. You have the whole thing where you have to, uh, you brought up to 12 of your party members with you. And before you enter, you need to choose an arrangement of them. Because as you fight, if someone is dead when you move on to the next stage, they get replaced by someone else. Just crazy. Yep. You see an aspect of that in some other ones. Uh, 
For instance, Final Fantasy VIII, where if a character stayed dead lo for long enough in one of the battles, they would be pulled into the time stream and would be replaced with someone else. Yeah, I believe that was in Ultimatia's Castle. Yep. During that final battle, uh, pretty much if someone went... So it didn't have quite the same thing. For that one, it was just if they go down and they stay down for long enough. For this one, it's if a character is dead uh, when you get to a uh, phase transition. Even if they were killed by the enemy's final attack, which given that a couple, one of the stages does use a, hey, as my final attack, I'm going to use a couple instant kill moves. So you're going into that final battle with a different party than you might have expected. I think Seven had something similar in the Northern Cave when you're fighting Sephiroth. Oh, here's the next transition. There we go. Where if you, certain people didn't make it down to a certain portion of the fight, they were unavailable to choose. Right. Remember, you're off. <laughs> yeah. But you've got that, like, percussion underneath. Every time I hear this, I, I, I'm just like you, Sarah. I have a hard time not just... Right? With, especially with this song. When we get it on Music Mondays, which is almost every Music Monday, Aurori loves this song. <laughs> I'm sitting there going... Bop, 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 bop. Yeah, this is uh, the bit that's going during the second phase of the fight. So this is the one where you've got a thing somewhat similar to the last boss of uh, Final Fantasy V. It's like amalgamation of all these different forms. Yeah, because basically at this point, Kefka has absorbed the, the triad. So you're fighting each of them individually until sort you get of. Well, uh, kind of his what, what remains of them from what he stole. Like, there's all sorts of fun, weird symbolism in it, and mm, I, I feel yeah. like I spent half an episode just trying to analyze the symbolism of those uh, tears. Well, that can be a lore segment, perhaps. <laughs> Sarah explains the final battle in Final Fantasy VI. Oh god, I don't know that I could explain it just because there's so much to it, and a lot of it there's questions about Anyway, <laughs> I mean, you've got a lot to talk about. We got a lot of time to talk about it here. We got still have more than ten minutes. <laughs> Eleven minutes left of this song, but I'll be damned if I cut through it, cut any of it because it's just so good. Yeah, uh, I am seeing some stuff. So uh, the first tier being the various things like. There's a suggestion that it was supposed to be a remap of the various ones from the Warrior Triad, but this was something that apparently was put forward by Nintendo of America, and there's nothing from Square that specifically supports that. Mm -hmm. So that may be their interpretation. The entire thing is referred to as the Statue of the Gods, and people who remember the Sigma Scape will, uh, 4.0 will recall going up it. Yep. Yeah, because even yeah, that last battle you had basically four phases with with this music playing in the background.
Have you heard the, the Grazzini cover of this where they play the entirety on pipe organ? I haven't, but I want to. It's out on YouTube. We've played it a few times. It's really good. Nice. I'll have to go look for that. Yeah, the Grassini Project is who does that one. Now, there's a, uh, I'm reading about there's another interpretation of the Statue of the Gods. This one's a fan interpretation, where it's kind of the three oh, stages of phase. the Divine Comedy. Oh. oh, yeah. Man, this is the one that's like got a lot of the really blasphemous symbolism. So for this one, you have two parts. There's like kind of a motherly angelic figure over a kind of reclining version of Kefka. The entire thing looks so much like Michelangelo's Pieta statue, which is a sculpture of Jesus lying in Mary's lap after the crucifixion. So you have kind of Kefka as this Jesus figure. He thought it was funny. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he would find it hilarious to take all this religious symbology, insert himself into it. What are you talking about? He did. And, yeah. He legitimately did. <laughs> and like, we've had the pipe organ throughout, but it definitely takes on a bit more of a... Uh, I'm not quite sure how to describe the quality of it. This is one of my weaker areas in music theory, but... There's a palpably different... Like, you've lost the other instruments, you've lost the heavy backing, this is just the pipe organ at this point. Uh, but one of the fan interpretations is that the Statue of the Gods is kind of a thing of the divine comedy. We start in hell with Satan as this demon uh, up to its waist in, in the divine comedy encased in ice. You go to purgatory with this mass of souls, with this place of, like, suffering, and then you ascend to heaven. And then at the very end of it, uh, Dante meets God, who explains about the meaning and purpose of life. And so, after our stay in heaven in this angelic bit, we encounter God, who explains the absurdity and meaninglessness of life. So, I actually like that interpretation best, like the whole divine comedy thing there. It kind of works, especially with the whole Kefka's ascension to godhood, a god of nihilism. Having like the kind of industrial stuff from the tower woven into it is a nice touch as well. Like the whole magic this fusion of like technology and divine power. I love I'm this part so much right now. I'm sorry, I'm just listening huh? to it and it's just like Yeah. It's like you are totally having a religious experience getting into the music while I'm getting into overwrought symbolism. <laughs> this is music that makes people feel stuff. Yes. This is the pinnacle of music for, for video games. Aurori like that. Same <laughs> thing going, haha, these two are idiots. <laughs> and we're about to transition into the final phase, the longest phase. We've heard this before. It might have been an omen, in fact. 
I mean, we <laughs> when you first start the game up, you start with this. Full circle, bitches. And the, the whole thing just goes right down a different path. Yeah. Now is when you're taking God down a peg. He's flinging deadly attack after deadly attack at you. And you're just laughing at him and throwing Meteor at him, or um, Ultima at him. I mean, yes, you can spam Ultima over and over. That's a thing you can do. Yeah, which I did. But it's not doing that. It has its really climactic feel. Like, the Skelly attacks he uses, like a Fallen Angel, uh, which we saw again with Sephiroth with his Heartless Angel. The whole, like, hit point to one type thing. All sorts of deadly instant kill or, like, near wipeout attacks. After everything you've struggled through so far, you're probably not on your first party at this point. Oh, oh, here it comes. <laughs> and bring in the pipe organ. Yep. little reminder of just what it is we're facing here. just so much symbolism in this. You've got Kefka as a god with multiple sets of wings, feathered angel wings and bat-like demon wings. Like, draped with, like, looking like a typical depiction of, like, some uh, Christian uh, Christianity angel. It's like, kind of invoking all these things as he makes a mockery of him. One of the ideas of a of a lot of stuff of nihilism is that like you laugh because what else can you do in the absurdity of the universe <laughs> it's the same idea for like the joker you might as well laugh because it is all one big goddamn joke well i wonder how much of uh the joker is actually in kafka's uh u.s interpretation hmm hard to say like this is an archetype that goes back a long way that oh, the joker uh, also invokes liberally but i mean well if you think about it, you know joker and, and and kefka are both you know clowns right but i mean the fool has been something that's been going since middle ages yeah the idea of like the fool character as or like as one who sees and laughs at the truth and absurdity of the world like, this is a thing that has a long history to mm -hmm. it. And, and based on their position within the court, you know, they actually have the ability to wreak havoc on a, uh, 
on, on, on the royalty. They can speak truth to power. But they can also take it down. Yeah. I mean, every king needs someone who can tell the truth to them. Also, somebody who tastes their food. <laughs> it's a little bit different. But I yes. know. Well, <laughs> it, it, it depends on how much you piss the king off that day. I mean, a fool who doesn't know how to handle that does not last long in their position. But yeah, you're finding him in this study that, like, all, like, ethereal clouds and light. It feels like you are at the pinnacle of the heavens when you're fighting him, which just kind of adds to the whole blasphemy of it. We are almost done. But what a ride this has been. Oh, yeah. Like, not just the story, uh, like, the, the music has done so much to support it, to have this idea of, like, okay, no, here is this uh, godlike thing. I mean, can you imagine playing these video games without these songs? I feel like it would just lose so much impact. I mean, I remember playing video games before, you know, soundtracks were a thing. Yeah, this was one of the things that was really revolutionary about it. Like, people think, like, oh, listen to video game music. Why would you just listen to the Pac-Man song? It beeps and bloops and stuff. Or Cuber. And so sometimes this was a revelation. Yeah, I mean... That was 17 minutes and 39 seconds of just amazing, amazing music. What is the runtime on Inagata Devita? Not that long. Um... While the you... long version does run 17 minutes. Okay, so this is still longer. And this yep. is even longer yet. Mm. Balance is restored. Yeah. The With ending Kef theme. Uh, as Kefka had drained the power of uh, the Warring Triad and has become not just a god but the source of magic, his defeat and destruction strips magic from the world. So there's questions like, what will the world look like? All the things that Kefka had been doing and holding together starting to collapse. This distorting power being removed. But as with all of the ending themes, we get the, the leap motifs from every other part of the game. The ending has the uh, the tower starting to collapse, no longer being held by Kefka's power. And so the, as the credits start to roll, uh, we're seeing bits and pieces of each of the escapes. And it's a chance for us to check in on each of the characters. I don't know if we'll go through the entirety of this one. This is 21 minutes and 29 seconds. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to go through, you know, to complete this. Um, yeah. So we have the epilogue theme here, already, basically. and now we're on to Cesar. And it's kind of nice with each one. We're, 
we do get to see as part of their skate a little bit of like their character, maybe some of their character development. We see Cyan and his secrets actually working with machines that he's not comfortable with in order to help his friends escape. You mean Mr. Thou, 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 Thou. <laughs> See, I'm looking through the video here. Setzer uses a coin flip in order to actually determine the correct direction. Mostly by having a coin flip set off a trap. <laughs> Reflects on how he's starting to feel a little bit like Daryl. Now we got Edgar. Edgar and Saturn. Ah, uh, the brothers working together. Yep. Sabin once again catching a big heavy thing as it comes down in order to protect Edgar while he attempts to open a door. And remarking on, uh, he never thought of himself as uh, having turned his back on the kingdom, but as developing his own set of skills for it. Kind of a nice thing to show the two of them working together, each having found their own move in it. Anyone that you haven't recruited, you just see a thing of their uh, character portrait over an associate location associated with them. Ah, Mog. Yep, this fits a little more of a comic relief segment throughout. Is it Mog, Mog and Umaro? Hmm? Is it Mog and Umaro trying to get out? Uh, no, this is just Mog fleeing with and getting trapped on something, uh, and having to be rescued by Edgar picking him up with a crane. <laughs> a little bit of a comic relief segment there. Well, they, they missed uh, an opportunity to have Umaro throw Mog. <laughs> that would have been pretty entertaining. Though I do believe Umaro's in the next segment here. Now this sounds like... Wait for it. Ah. Yep. And this bit has Umaro with a couple of the others, fleeing through sections of the tower, finding their way blocked off, and Umaro smashing his way through the landscape to create a new path. <laughs> door? We don't need no stinking door. Yep. Seconds I said they're a little more comic relief-y. This one involves a sequence with several people being trapped on another segment made up of Magitech factory uh, sections, and Gogo needing to repeat what Celeste does in order to activate a thing that will bring them off. Feels a little forced having the whole thing of like, oh hey, it's the mimicry thing, but. Gogo wasn't exactly the deepest character. Depending, but you found him pretty deep.
recognize this one yet? No. Sorry. So this one, the wild child gal. Really? Yep. We did see this during sequences, like, for instance, where he meets his father. And in this bit of it, uh, he is helping others by finding a shortcut, which mostly involves skidding down some of the hillsides of the tower. And then shoving others onto things to start sending them down to the next bit, declaring the entire time, gal, find shortcut. And now we've got Celis. Yep. This one I can easily hear, but... Yeah. Locke and Celis share this sequence together. Oh. Yep. Uh, as the, they escape across crumbling floors, Celis drops the bandana, runs back for it, ends up uh, nearly fall, uh, falling and be- grasping onto a ledge, where Locke comes to rescue her. Kind of making up for the time he failed to rescue Rachel. And at the same time, lecturing her for her sentimentality in nearly dying over that bandana. But there's a bit of understanding. Should we skip ahead a little bit, or should we, uh, do we want to continue going through this? I, I mean, it's good. Well, this, yeah, this bit at this bit at least isn't. Uh, so this one is a uh, terrace theme, uh, and it uh, involves her speaking with the magicite of her father one last time, who's telling her that with magic uh, vanishing from the world, the espers will also disappear but that she, uh, the human part of her, may be able to remain in the world. Uh, we can jump ahead if you like. Ah, there's that. We then have sequences with Realm, Shadow, and Strago. Interconnected in their own way. Well, we all know how much Realm likes... Uh... Shadow's dog. (laughs) (laughs) Realms highlights uh, her relationship with her grandfather. So we get the the two themes kind of playing a little bit together. Yep. always liked Realm's theme. But yeah, just having like all the various sleep motifs. Shadow now. Yep. A much more dramatic version of it, as Shadow, once again seeming to look for a place to die, tells Interceptor to go on as he himself stays behind in the collapsing tower. 
as he feels that he doesn't really have anything that he can do at this point. Yeah. I mean, he's been running the entire time. If you see the sequences with his dreams, you see that he was a, a bandit who abandoned a comrade of his, went on the run. Also strongly suggested that he is the absent father of Realm. recognize this one. How about now? It's not ringing any bells right now, sadly. So this is the last of the character ones of Strago, oh, okay. who uh, appears to be about to be stranded along with uh, Realm and shows some incredible determination climbing to and leaping from the top of multiple trash piles. Oh. Uh, Strago's uh, rejoining at the Cult of Kefka Tower, as well as his side quests involving hunting the Hudon, uh, kind of show that even though he's an old man, he still has a lot of that fire in him. And then after all those character sequences, we come to that final escape. Before we get to the airship? Yep. That minor key, kind of like panicked version as we're heading to the airship. Run, you fools! Escaping from the collapsing tower. Why do we do this Tear to up. ourselves? Tara <laughs> flying alongside the airship in order to guide them out, even as her Esper powers are starting to fail and fade. making one last desperate dive. And then the hopeful music swells as we find, having been just barely caught on the front of the airship, we see Terra lying there in human form. Because of course. I mean, especially since in her sequence, uh, Maudine talks about if she can find something that the human side is attached enough to that may allow her to remain in the world. And we see that the love that she found, the love for the children, that that's something that has given her human side an attachment to this world. Given her desire to understand human emotions, feeling like she's separated, wanting to understand this thing of love, this tells us that she's reached an understanding of it. She gets it. She's found the love that she was looking for. I mean, the thing that gets her to rejoin the party is defending the town of Mobley's uh, after it's attacked and as uh, Dwayne and Catherine are having their baby. This new life in like a very direct way. And they're off. Yep. And the triumphant flight over the world passing by all the various towns and the like, where you see like the shadow of the airship darkening it for a moment before it moves on. And you get to see the new life flourishing, the people finding a new way to live, 
Like, the whole thing talks about, like, trying to find that meaning in the ruins, and it looks like, okay, the world is starting to return. With this distorting influence gone, people are finding their meaning, they're finding a way to go on. I mean, that's the theme that we keep going back to over and over. And then a lot of this is just those awesome Mode 7 graphics of the airship flying over the world. <laughs> it's the victory lap. Pretty much. Like, literally. And the rest of the credits rolling while this goes on. I think we can go ahead and, and move yeah. on as well. We've got our triumph there. We know we've won. And no Final Fantasy game is complete. Yep. After the last big uh, thing, we do get that uh, harp to, uh, to, to end us out. Gotta have the prelude. <laughs> Even if it is at the end. That's the best spot for a prelude, right? Because <laughs> that means you're going to start playing it again. Woo! I mean, that did happen more than once. I mean, you, you got to beat that rec world record time of what? Six hours and 40 some minutes? Good God, I don't get speedrunners sometimes. Especially in this game. Holy shit. <laughs> I, I've, I put... 50 hours into my game I think when I played this two years ago sounds about right but then again I, I went for almost I had to get all the espers I had to max out all the espers on everybody um got everyone yeah, to I level 90s ish I definitely want to try some of those ROM hacks just because they have stuff like not everyone can learn every spell so the characters are remain a little more well defined yeah. because otherwise it's like Okay, we're going to fight Kefka with 12 Ultima Machines. This is the Ultima Machine that casts them off for one MP. This is the one that can double cast them, and yep, so on. That's what I did. Terra was yeah. one MP, and I think I had Celis double casting, and then I had to have somebody healing, I suppose. I mean, it works, it's just tactically uninteresting. Uh, I wanted just to experience the story. Oh, absolutely. I mentioned, uh, well, a couple times, but I, I was playing this with my friend uh, back in the world before. Uh, he had never uh, seen the original FF6, uh, so uh, I had an SNES cartridge. He had the SNES, so we were playing the original one. And the plot and story stuff was all great. He enjoyed it, still references it from time to time. He likes to declare himself to be the king like Edgar, which means you get to do what you want. Are you sure he's more, like, not more like... He's actually a genuinely good guy. I'm I'm kidding. I'm I'm aware, but it's funnier if I respond to it as if it's a serious question. And that, uh, friends, uh, is Final Fantasy VI. Three hmm. episodes, three discs. There's a lot going on there. I mean, that was one of the things. Like the actual gameplay, it's like okay, I'm mashing fight and then just unloading all the big damaging spells. Like the actual gameplay itself wasn't quite as interesting but the characters and the story really carry it and the music is such a big supporting part of mm -hmm. that like all those bits we talked about i was running through some of the videos for scenes of it 
And watching those bits without the music on it, it's not nearly as impactful. That music communicates so much of the feeling and emotion, especially that uh, climbing the uh, statue of the gods, the fight against Kefka. There is so much woven into that. Like, that is goddamn art there. I mean, can you imagine just getting a, a generic boss fight theme there? That would be a disappointment. Yeah, it would be a, a be just another. Oh, we're fighting a boss. Oh, oh, oh he's dead. Oh, oh, yay. Okay, yay. Yeah. You're no. gonna do all this. You make it a set piece. You make it awesome. But you get dancing mad in there, and it it makes it just an absolute amazing experience. And from a technical uh, perspective, the idea that oh hey uh, like. It is, we heard it as a long piece, but again, like, the bits of it will loop, and there's multiple points where it can be like, okay, and here's how we integrate it into the next one. And when you're fighting the boss, it's not like it suddenly cuts and goes to the next thing. It sounds smooth. Each uh, stage naturally flows into the next, no matter which point you did it at. Mm -hmm. And that's like something that... I was going to say, that's something that these video game uh, music programmers have done an amazing job with. I mean... Look at 14, for example. Soken is able to amazingly get those songs to transition between uh, phases. I mean, he, yeah. he had an amazing person to learn from, though, with Uematsu. Yeah, and just like, not just the technical skill, but the consideration, the dedication to the craft to say, hey, I don't want this thing to happen. Like, yes, you could do it this way, but that's going to be all weirdly disruptive. I want this to flow. Looking at the music as this part of the experience, as this thing that's going to speak to someone and tell them about what's going on here. There's this, like, respect for their work. Like, the respect they're giving their own work. This is not something that's phoned in. This is the opposite. They, they like, know. As far as the opposite yet. They know that their, their music is, is as integral to telling the story as the actual dialogue. Which I think is one of the reasons that Uemetsu was always so frustrated about the prelude. That was one that he just intended as a placeholder, and I'm given how much love and care he puts into everything else, the fact that they just wanted to use the placeholder instead of something that had been like this really, uh, at this work that he put the same amount of level into, I'm sure that must have been galling for him. We love it. It's great. It is a beautiful piece, though. I mean, even there are times when you can create a, a, a work of art in no time. And sometimes it, it, you just want that simple aesthetic. But it's kind of fun and interesting to think about how galling this is for him as someone who wants to go the extra mile every time. Yeah, uh, th uh, yeah I guess I understand that, but... Let us There's like a dedication the to the craft that I respect there. Yeah. All right. So we may, since we uh, rescheduled our next episode, we will have to figure this out for sure, but we may start Final Fantasy VII then on the next uh, show. Ooh, we'll have to think about that. That's got a lot of fun stuff going on there. It was, of course, a new era in terms of hardware, so they started doing a lot of other stuff with the music. Like, there's lots of stuff like, oh, it's the pipe organ or oh, the voices, but it's also, like, synthesized music. Yeah. Um, plus, there's the whole uh, situation that uh, when you look at the PlayStation version versus the PC version, how inferior that PC version actually is. 
Yeah. And we'll have to, we can discuss that. When I went to buy the music for Final Fantasy V, the person I bought it from had actually asked me about that. I'm like, you know what? I forgot about that whole thing. We're going to have to look into that. So when we get into this music for Final Fantasy VII, we'll have to figure out why did they do that? Um, I've got some thoughts, but we can save that for next yes, time. Let's save that um, for, for, for when we start playing that music. Yeah, I part of me wonders if it might also be fun to start bringing in some of the FF7 remake pieces, at least some of the ones that directly pull from and invoke that. That may be because I was looking at some of the new orchestrian roles added with the Southern Balls in front, and uh, there's stuff like an FF12 piece that's specified as being the Zodiac Age version. So like going back and updating some of like some of those remakes and other uh, remasters and like they do, they'll sometimes tweak and twiddle with the music a bit. So it can be interesting. Like, there's a lot we could potentially draw from if we want to make these four-hour episodes. Yeah, I think we'll stick... I don't know if we want to make these four-hour episodes. For now, I think we'll stick with the original soundtracks as we experience them. That's probably for the best. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, (laughs) just the two of us, we we went just went over two hours for this one, so... But I mean, that's one of the things about music. There's not necessarily a single uh, definitive version. People no. like remix and riff on and use as the basis for like, there's a lot going on there. It's amazing. Music is probably the strongest point when it comes to this game. I think, I think it beats the story. Oh, I, I want to argue with that. Off the top of my head, the position I take is that it's inseparable from the story. The, the, the two do go hand in hand. And I think a lot of the love we have for the music actually does have to do with the story, too. But if well, I, I, the, the, where I'm going to get at here is you take somebody like uh, Alex Muka, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He, the one who's been doing like those amazing videos yes. of the music producer looking at FF14. He never played any Final Fantasy games. He came into this completely from a music production standpoint, and he was blown away by the music of Final Fantasy XIV. I think he's like an actual player of the game now at this point. He is now, yes, but he wasn't when he started. Right. So that's what I'm saying is the music, I think, can be taken out of the context of the video game and appreciated for the art that it is. The music can stand on its own. Yes. Whereas it's it's elevated 100% with the storyline, but it doesn't need the storyline to be appreciated. Whereas I think the storyline needs the music to be fully felt. I'm suddenly reminded of a thing from The Simpsons where they were watching a meteor shower and Otto's looking up at it and Otto says, I don't need drugs to enjoy this, just to enhance it. He's not so wrong. What I've said here is music is drugs. I mean, honestly, given the way it acts on our brains, that's maybe not terribly far off. No, you're, pro- you're not wrong. I mean, it, <laughs> music does, you know, affect, you know, those pleasure centers in our brain and releases, you know, the, the little happy chemicals. So, yeah, endorphins and whatnot. But yeah, 
I mean, at this point, we're getting to just like philosophy of storytelling yeah. and music, and it's really pri- like this is another one that we could go on for hours. But in terms of talking about FF six, I feel like we've reached a good pause stopping point. Okay, I will. I will agree with that. Um, good stuff. I am like so many memories have been coming back during this entire evening. All right, um, I, we did get a a, a, twi- a Twitter comment um, from the last or since the last episode. Uh, from Hidasan, uh, tweeting at PHXDN Radio. I love you guys. Just found your podcast on the weekend and love how you guys go into more than just Final Fantasy fourteen news. You cover everything. Love the music segment too. Keep up the great work. Well, Hida, thank oh, you so man. much. If you love the music segment, you are going to love this week. Or loved this week, I guess. If you're listening to it at this point, you've just heard the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see them in the chat this week, but um, like I said, I'm, 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 assume, I'm sure they'll find the podcast. So thank you, Hida. Yeah. We appreciate you stopping by. They uh, stopped into the Discord as well. So hopefully we'll have some Much more interesting uh, conversations with people. Remember, we are a community and we want to build. So, you know, Interact with us. We'll interact back with you, and uh, we can keep this uh, this whole thing moving. It, it's it's not just us, you know, talking at you. We want to talk with you. We we like this Maybe to be a little wacky from time to time. <laughs> Sarah, what? I have a lot of words. Well, so many words. And on that note, that's gonna do it for this episode. Then. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like, subscribe, or follow us out on your favorite podcasters like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We are out on Amazon Music uh, and Stitcher, uh, as well as whatever your preferred podcatcher is. And uh, if if possible, leave us a rating or review. It lets people know, uh, as well as us, what you think of the show and helps people find our show out in the community. And if you really dig this show, you can consider subscribing here at twitch.tv slash phoenixdownradio where you get access to a number of uh, subscriber-only uh, badges and emotes. Um, or you can be like our uh, uh, benevolent overlord, Aurori Fenrir, and uh, uh, support us out at patreon.com slash phoenixdownradio. Um, any proceeds we get go towards growing the show, cover hosting costs, allow us to get cameras, um, inc- you know, just improve the, the overall quality of the show. Um, But uh, whatever you do, any type of support, whether it's emails, likes, tweets, donations, subscriptions, all of that, it's greatly appreciated because we just love interacting with you guys. (laughs) If you want to check out all the back catalog of our shows, since I believe not every episode is available on most podcatchers, you can go out to our website, phoenixonradio.com, and you can get every episode. Even some Moogle Goron radio episodes, I think, are still out there. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot of stuff out on our website, so make sure to check that out. Um, we even did news for a while, but uh, it got hard to keep up with all of that. So, And there are so many sites that are so much better at it, so we just put the podcast out there for now. But if you have ideas of things we can do maybe in the future, let us know. We're always interested in uh, um, you know, taking your suggestions. Um, if you have other questions, you can always send those to us at podcast at phoenixstarradio.com. You know, that's a great place to uh, send some of those long-form uh, su- suggestions you may have. And uh, you can always hit us up on Twitter at PHXDNRadio. Um, or you can uh, check out all of the videos of our uh, um, podcasts out at YouTube.com slash PhoenixDownRadio. So, Sarah, do you have any shout-outs this week? Uh, so, I'll go ahead and give a shout-out uh, 
to a local pet shelter, Pets in Need, who we just finished uh, fostering an adorable cat with, uh, little Candace. She uh, went off on Friday uh, to go meet a family who may become her forever home. Uh, I've been, I, along with my housemates, we've been fostering cats and kittens over the last month or two. It's a nice way to get like a pet in a small dose, figure out if it's right for you. And you get to do a really nice service for a local shelter. Always a good thing. Uh, Yeah. Candace was a sweetheart. She like runs up to you and like headbutts you in order to get pats. Tiny bit bitey at times, but otherwise super, super affectionate and surprisingly clever. She figured out how to open several doors I did not think she was going to manage, which was a problem a few times, but most horrible. Nice. Oh, I should put, I got a couple nice pictures of her, one with her like open mouth snarling fangs exposed, which was amazing timing. It was great. I should put those on my Twitter, which I do have Twitter. I've got the social meds. Uh You can find me at Twitter at FF14SER, that's F-F-X-I-V-S-E-Y-R-R, where I mostly post random cooking things and now I guess occasional cat pictures. That's a thing. <laughs> Very nice. I mean, like, honestly, I'm basically the AI from Cat Pictures, Please, which I want to do a reading of one of these days. It's such a good story. And I want to shout out Sarah for joining me this week. Uh, thank you so much, as always. Shout out to Talas, who is out making that money, delivering those pizzas, feeding the people, doing awesome things. We understand you need to do what you need to do, so keep it up. Uh, shout out to everybody who is joining us live here at twitch.tv slash Radio. Special shout out to Aurori for just being super awesome, as always. Um, and shout out to everybody who's listening out on the podcast. We really do appreciate you guys. Um, if you have any, uh, if you want to get a hold of me for whatever reason, you can hit me up at phxdn underscore k-l-a-u-s-s, phxdn underscore klaus. Um, like I said, right now, uh, if I'm posting many things, it's, uh, gonna be the stuff, you know, to get out and vote. You know, make sure that you are doing, you know, your, uh, civic duty at this point, because we are way too, uh, close to, uh, something that needs to be, uh, done, so... Beyond that, I'm not going to get too political, but just don't care who you vote for, vote. If you can vote early, vote early, um, but just vote. Please don't vote often. Don't commit fraud. Yes, that's not a good thing. But encourage your family and your friends to make sure that they're registered and vote too. Uh, so for my co-host, Sir Timono, I am Klaus Nightbringer, wishing everybody a wonderful evening. Thank you again for joining us, and we will see you on the next one. Take care. Phoenix Down Radio is a production of PhoenixDownRadio.com and Illusion Productions. Final Fantasy XIV and Eorzea are trademarks of Square Enix. In-game content for Phoenix Down Radio is a copyright of Square Enix. Open to music for Phoenix Down Radio is provided by Guilty Gear Rocky. Check out the Metal Chocobo theme cover and many other music videos at YouTube.com slash Guilty Gear Rocky. Closing music for this episode is provided by GuitarWanker90. Please check out their full version of Matoya's Cave and other rock video game covers at youtube.com slash guitarwanker90. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of Phoenix Down Radio and its hosts and do not reflect the views of Square Enix.